You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. Oh, come thou wisdom from on high. Tonight we're going to turn our attention to another title of Christ, another title of the Messiah, the wisdom from on high. And so I want, to, I want you to open up your ears to, to the word of God from Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 1, and verse 1 is a week of, of its own. In a few weeks we're going to cover that. But I really want you to focus in on verse 2. Here's what God's word says. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root is from his root shall bear fruit. Verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's is a spirit that rests on Christ. Let's go ahead and stop there and have a seat. I'm really kind of uh, eager about this series because we're taking a different approach and just pulling out a few key titles of Christ. But, but uh, tonight we're going to talk about the wisdom from on high. And we're going we're to talk about how wisdom really is found in Christ. But, but this, uh, this actually, this idea, it, it brought back a memory a few weeks ago of when my wife and I, when we were engaged and we were actually, we were going through premarital counseling. Now that was a, a terrifying proposition to me at that time. I was early twenties and, uh, and I, all I knew is I, I loved her and she loved me. But the deal is at that point in my life, I thought I had everything about love and marriage figured out, right? It's really easy to figure it out before you're married, by the way. You know how it all works before you're married. And so when we, our very first time going to premarital counseling, I went to my pastor and, and he sat down with us and he had us use this tool. It's actually a tool that I later got trained on and I use it now today. But he had us use this tool that it basically, it, it took a, a whole host of questions and we both answered it individually. And then it gave us this kind of this, uh, this report of our strengths and of the places we needed to grow. And the very first thing this report did is it, it showed what's called, it, it's kind of a technical term, it showed what is called the idealistic distortion factor. That, that's a mouthful, right? Idealistic distortion factor. And basically what this is, is it measures, based on your answers, how idealistic you are about the relationship. Let me put it a different way how disconnected from reality you are about what it requires to have a successful relationship. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, I, I don't always ace tests. I don't, don't always get 100% on exams, but I got like 100% on the idealistic distortion factor. Uh, my pastor sat across me and says, Mike, you are completely disconnected from reality. <laughs> You have no idea what it takes to be married. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I love her. That's, that's all it takes, right? And over the next few weeks, he walked us through, teaching us wisdom from the scripture of what it looked like to actually be in a relationship. Now, it was kind of humbling to me, right? I, I, had to, I had to come to terms with the fact that I really thought I knew everything and I knew nothing. But let me ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in a spot in your life where you, maybe you look back at a decision decision you made, and it was the decision that you thought you made the right decision at the time, and then you look back at it and you said, what was I thinking? Have you ever regretted, you ever regretted something that you decided to do? 
Or, or how, about, how about we bring this fast forward? How about we bring this to life right now? How, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us find us regularly in a position where we have to make an incredibly difficult decision and we're not really sure what the right decision is? We're not really sure what the next step should be. We're, we're not sure what wisdom looks like. Or maybe this, how many of us simply... How many of us simply want to grow in Christ? We want to grow closer to the Lord, but we're, we're not entirely sure maybe what that could look like or, or, or how to move forward in our relationship. You see, I, I ask those questions, and I tell that story because, because I want to turn a corner, and I want you to see that the wisdom that we all need, the wisdom that you're looking for, the wisdom that you're trying to sort through this life, it's found in Christ. In fact, our big idea tonight is very simple. Christ is the wisdom that we all need. Now, saying that sounds very churchy, right? Christ is wisdom. Christ is the wisdom we all need. But, but tonight, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to think about how Christ is the wisdom. And I want to do it, first of all, I kind of just want to have us together exalt Jesus Christ. I want us to think through the wisdom of Christ as laid out in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And here's what I really want us to do. I want us to just be like looking at these words and being like, wow, Jesus is awesome. And then look at the next one and be like, wow, Jesus is awesome. And then look at the next one and be like, wow, Jesus is awesome. I want us to take some time tonight simply to lift up Jesus in his wisdom and be amazed at how awesome Christ is. And then after we've gotten our first plate, and then our second plate, and then we've gone back for thirds, after we have stuffed ourselves as full as we can of how awesome Jesus is, then, then I want us to start to think through, what does that mean for our lives today? How do we grab hold of the wisdom that is in Christ so that we can begin to live our lives with real wisdom? with wisdom from above. And so if you haven't done it yet, would you open up your Bibles? Would you find Isaiah, it's in the Old Testament, chapter 11, and, and verse 2 is going to be our core verse. We're, we're going to pull as much out of verse 2 as we can. We're, we're going to look at a few other verses that support what, what this verse is, or explain what this verse is saying. But let's open up. Let me read for you verse 2 again. Here, here's what it says. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These seven attributes is what I want to walk through. This, these seven attributes is where I want to exalt Christ with you together. And so let's begin. Let's start with, with just laying this out here first and foremost. The spirit of the Lord, it's found upon Christ. This Isaiah passage, Isaiah 11, it's a prophetic passage promising a characteristic of the Messiah, of the Lord that's going to come. And it begins by saying that he's going to have what, what we would call the Spirit of the Lord upon him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, it's going to talk about all these other descriptions in a minute, but this, this actually takes place in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we actually have a picture of Jesus Christ beginning his earthly ministry. And at the very initiation of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he begins to do ministry on earth, what do we find happen? But we find the Spirit of the Lord come and descend and rest upon him. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 3 is where you find this. 
verses 13 through 17. Jesus at this point, his birth, his early life, but he hasn't started preaching and teaching. Then he goes, let's just pick up in the story. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River, to John, John the Baptist. He came to be baptized by him. Now, John would have prevented him saying, oh, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, this is the right thing to do. This is part of my ministry. This is part of what I need to do. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descend like a dove and come to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. This is, this is fulfillment right here. This is what, what Isaiah had a glimpse, what a, a picture in his mind of. And this is taking place some almost 800 years later at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what you see here is you don't just see Jesus as the, the second member of the triune God, the perfect sinless son of God. You don't just see the spirit of God descend and you don't just see the father speak. You see all three of them together. Jesus living his perfect righteous life, the spirit of God descending upon him and then the voice of God proclaiming, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. See, tonight we're going to talk about wisdom. And in this moment, the triune God, he is demonstrating his wisdom by revealing himself as the fulfiller of promises at the initiation of Jesus in his earthly ministry. This is a landmark moment. This is an incredible moment. And the Spirit of God comes and it says it descends and rests upon Jesus. Jesus himself actually describes this. In, in that book at the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Jesus, at the beginning of that book, the first few chapters, Jesus is actually, he has a message to seven different churches. If you were to turn to Revelation chapter 3, he begins to have a message to the church in Sardis. Revelation 3, verse 1, listen to this description. This is Jesus' words. He says, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He, he actually condemns this church. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, in the future, we'll handle that passage. But right now, he, how does Jesus describe himself? He describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now, does God have seven spirits? Or are there seven different Holy Spirits? Is that what this is teaching? No. The Bible has made that really clear. There is the Spirit of God. There is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The triune God, three persons, one essence. The Bible makes that clear. But the Spirit of God is described as the sevenfold Spirit of God. And what are the, the seven characteristics of the Spirit? Look back at Isaiah. Chapter 11, look at how many characteristics are used to describe the spirit that is going to be on the Messiah, the spirit of wisdom, or the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear. 
This is where it all gets tied together. What we see here, what we see is that the Spirit of the Lord, this is the Spirit that is found on Christ. Now, that's our first characteristic, the Spirit of the Lord. But then the next six characteristics, they're grouped together in pairs, if you notice the text and these pairs, they're actually really strategic. They each, together, each pair has a very, very important, very weighty significance. So let's walk through these. What I want you to see first and foremost is that Christ, with these, these next two, this next two words, Christ is the ultimate wisdom to rule. Look in your text. See those next two words. It says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. These two weird words, they're paired together because these two words, they have a, you can say a judicial or a governmental meaning. These two words together, they give the idea of someone who is able to rule. Someone who sets up the world in the way the world is meant to work. And then someone who holds the world together in the way he governs those that he cares for. That first word, the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom simply means that Christ knows how life works best. Christ knows how life works best. This word wisdom, it's, it's a very general or very broad word. And it gives the sense of knowing what is best for the one who is ruled. So, so to say that Christ knows how, how the world works best is simply put, it means that he orders the world he designs the world. He made the world. And he set up the world to work in a way so that his creation can thrive if they live according to his ways. I mean, there's a lot of parents in this room. You, you parents, you know how life works best for your kids, don't you? I mean, your kids, they might think that they, they have a really great idea about like their diet, right? Like, hey, let's just have dessert for dinner and let's just have only dessert for dinner and let's have three plates of dessert for dinner. And, and that might, might be what they want. But as a parent, what are you going to say? You're saying, no, I can do that. But you, you have to eat your vegetables, right? I mean, you might, you might fudge a little bit like my daughter. Yes, she had pie for breakfast this morning, left over from Thanksgiving. It's okay once in a while. But by and large, you know how life works best. And so you organize and you order your children's life in a way so that they can thrive, so that they can grow, so that they can mature. This is, this is reflected in Christ and his rule. He has the spirit of wisdom, which means he knows how life works best. But this word wisdom is also paired with the word understanding. The spirit of understanding means that Christ has the perfect perspective. Here's how these two words work together. Wisdom means that, that Christ knows how life works best. And then understanding means that when life is not working well, he sees to the very core of the issue. He knows exactly what is wrong. How does he do that? Well, because he designed it. It's like a mechanic who, who, through years and years of working on engines, they, they hear something that no one else hears, and they know the problem instantly. They know exactly how to remedy it. Well, the Christ, he's, he's like the mechanic of the world. He's the one that created everything. He, he has a spirit of wisdom because he is wise. And not only that, he has this understanding so that when life is not working well, he knows exactly what the issue is. 
And you see, when you and I, when we ask, what is wrong with society? You know where we should look? To Christ. What does he say is wrong with society? When you and I, when we ask, what is wrong with my church? You know where we should look? Not to this is how I want things to be or this is what I think is best, but to Christ who has the perfect understanding of how the church works. When you and I, when we say, what is wrong with my family? Where do we look? We look to Christ who designed family. And he has the perfect understanding of what's wrong. When you and I, when we say, what is wrong with me? Where do we look? Do we go to our friends and seek their advice? Do we go to the talk shows on TV? Do we go to a secular counselor? You know where we go. We go to Christ who made us and sees with perfect clarity, with perfect understanding into the very depth of our being. And he knows. He knows the remedy. See, this is the spirit of understanding. I want you to see that that Christ, he he has the wisdom to rule. Listen, occasionally when we find ourselves in these issues, these troubles, whether it's with our society or with our family or with our souls, what would happen if we just stood back a little bit and say, "What? what would Christ have us do in this moment? And we look to him for wisdom and understanding. You see, Christ is the wisdom. He's the wisdom we all need especially when we think about how the world works and how our lives work. But let's look at the second pair. The first pair, we see that Christ is the wisdom because he has the ultimate, the ultimate wisdom to rule. He's the wisdom you're looking for for the ruling in your life. But the second pair, it's not a governmental idea. It's not a ruling idea. It's actually a little bit more aggressive. It's a reigning idea. Christ is the ultimate wisdom to reign, Now, you might say, what's the difference here? Well, the difference is that Christ set things up and he rules. And then when he reigns, it's more like he comes and he conquers. It's more like he comes and he wins. It's more like he comes as a general and he, he, he wins the war. Let me show you what I mean. Isaiah 11 to the second pair, it says, the spirit of counsel and might. You see, these are military words. These words, they're, they're not just, uh, or this world, how would I want to say this? The world we live in doesn't willingly accept the rule of Christ. We're rebellious people, aren't we? We, we want our own way to do things our selfish way. And, and so when that happens, that's where Christ steps in and he shows us his reign, not just his rule. And so the first word here is the spirit of counsel. The spirit of counsel means that Christ has the strategy that will succeed. 
Christ has the perfect strategy. It's the, it's the image of a general that looks out over the map of the battlefield, and he knows where all of the different enemy troop movements are, and he, he knows where the strategic locations for a battle are, and he looks out, and he says, here is what we're going to do. It reminds me of the book I read this year, 1776. It's the story of, of um, independence of America and the, that first kind of year of war, and there was a, a battle of George Washington that we have a famous picture for. You probably think of George Washington in this photo, him crossing the Delaware. And when he did that, he went to go and he went to attack a German army that was actually a paid army that was on the other side in Trenton. And he went there and he crossed, he crossed the river silently on boats that were probably three times as long as the one in this photo, right? He, he crossed the river silently, but it was, it was on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, and he did so in the middle of sleet and ice with portions of the river that were frozen. And he went, th- he crossed and he, he had the perfect strategy. He crossed in one places and he had another battalion and, and another battalion in two different locations. And they were all going to converge on this city of Trenton where the German paid army, these mercenaries were, were kind of held up. He had the perfect strategy. The problem was is those two different battalions didn't make it. And he had, to, he had to, this is why Washington is so famous, he had to think and attack, kind of, kind of make the plan up as he went along. And because he was such a brilliant strategist when it came to this battle, they were able to conquer that German army in that moment. He, he, he's like a general with a wise strategy. How much more so with Jesus, though? When Jesus steps back and he looks at the war of the world, when he looks at the culture war, when he looks at the war, a spiritual warfare, when he looks at the war over your soul or even the war over your thoughts, he has the perfect strategy. He has the ultimate wisdom. But it's not just a wisdom, a strategy that lacks power. The text continues. It says he has also the spirit of might. This means that Christ has the power to succeed. What a perfect pairing. Not only does he know what to do, but he has all the power to do so. He he has the might to accomplish this. This this is the ability to succeed. See, in Christ, we find the ultimate king, the ultimate conqueror, and he has the perfect strategy and the perfect power. Now, then the question is, what does his strategy and his power look like? And this is, this is where we get tripped up. This is where our world gets tripped up. Because we want to picture a general automatically like George Washington, crossing the river on the front of the boat, captain stance, right, going in strength and in might. But do you know how Jesus has actually conquered this world? He conquered it with his humility. I want you to, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians for a moment. We're going to be there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to do a portion of this, but, but I want to start in verse 21. And I want you to see Christ in the wisdom, in the power of his strategy for how he ends up reigning. Look at the text with me. Verses 21 through 25. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know through know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly that we preached 
to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And this, this is a phenomenal passage. Look at what this says. It says, first of all, that Christ, the wisdom of God, he looks like foolishness to the world. The world, when they look at Christ, when they look at the message of Christ, when they look at the gospel, they say, huh, that's pretty foolish. Because the world expects strength that looks very different. The world expects wisdom that looks very different. It says that the Jews, they want a sign. The Jewish people, they were expecting a Messiah. We just saying, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and res, res, ransom captive Israel. Israel was waiting for the Messiah to come, but in their mind, they expected a Messiah that was going to march in with a conquering army and destroy the Romans who held them in captivity. That was a sign they were looking for. They were expecting heaven to open and legions of angels to pour out and destroy all the enemies. That was a sign they were hoping for. And we just lit this candle of hope because the proclamation wasn't, here comes the king and his army. The proclamation was, the virgin will conceive and bear a child and his name will be God with us. See, this is the hang-up for the Jewish people. They were expecting the Messiah to be something specific in their mind. And then the Greeks, the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish ethnically or religiously, it says they want wisdom. And when you think about Greeks, what do you think of? You think of the Stoics or the philosophers. You think of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. These are folks that they prided themselves on their wisdom, on the way they thought about life better than anyone else. And so for, for the, the non-Jewish world, they, they want, well, they want wisdom. Wisdom that's seen in the Tower of Babel. You know that story all the way back in Genesis? When, when the people, they gather together and they say, we will build a tower to reach the heavens in their wisdom and in their might. And God dashed them across the face of the earth. They, they want they want wisdom like works righteousness. Here, here's what we Greeks, we, we Gentiles today, what we want. We want to be good enough. We want to say, show me all the things I have to do so that God will approve of me so that I can be better than the other guy. Show me, show me all the things I have to do to make up for all of the sin in my life and I'll do them and I will be better than everyone else, at least in public, right? And I'll be better than everyone else. That's what we want. That's the wisdom that we want. We want scientism, right? Where we believe that humanity, we can have all the answers through science. We'll figure it all out. We say there is no problem that we can't solve. We think we're so smart. This also sums up all of the false worship systems. You see, when Christ comes as a baby and then when he dies, a criminal's death, 
when he's crucified. This is a stumbling block. This is foolishness. The Jewish people say, that's not our Savior. We want a conquering Savior. And, and, and the Greek people that say, there's no strength there. There's no power there. We want nothing to do with that. We want to be strong. We want to be powerful. You see, Christ, the wisdom of God, looks like foolishness to the world. And Christ, the power of God, looks like weakness to the world. But look at verse 23 in this 1 Corinthians passage. What does he say? We preach Christ crucified. Christian, this is the core of our belief that Jesus died and rose again. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know all the things you hear about Christians, some of them are true, some of them might not be true. But listen, at the very core of the Christian faith is this statement right here. We preach Christ crucified. What is the significance of Christ crucified? The significance is that he was crucified, he hung on a cross, and he died, and by his death, he paid the consequence for all of my sin and all of your sin. We preach Christ crucified. The Christian faith is not be good, do better, try harder. The Christian faith is we preach Christ crucified, and listen, this is called the wisdom of God. You know why it's wisdom of God? Because the people who are so wise in our world, the people who are so learned and so intelligent and so arrogant in their intelligence, they scoff at it. And that's exactly why God wants it to be. He doesn't want us to come to him in our pride and our arrogance saying, Look at how good I am and look what I deserve from you. Instead, he wants us to come in lowliness, in humility, to a crucified and risen Savior who is the wisdom and the power of God. You see, this, this text in Isaiah, it reminds us that Christ is the wisdom we need. Christ is the wisdom that we find true and ultimate ruling he knows how life works. He designed it. He knows how life works best. And not only that, Christ is the wisdom to reign. And the way that Jesus reigns, the way that he conquers, is through his sacrificial death and resurrection. But let's keep going. Let's look at this final pair. The final pair is, we see that Christ is the ultimate wisdom to righteousness. He's the ultimate wisdom to righteousness. The word righteousness simply means to live right before God. It's a, the right living. It's the right kind of life before God. And so the words it use here, verses, uh, or verse 2, the very end, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, the, the, the terms here for knowledge and fear, they're both subordinate to the word Lord. And so you could actually, you could say the spirit of knowledge of the Lord and the spirit of fear of the Lord. Both of them are qualified by this term, the Lord. See that phrase, the Lord, it is the dominant thrust of these few words, the Lord. And so Christ, he's the ultimate wisdom of righteousness because, because he has the spirit of knowledge 
and the spirit of fear of the Lord. The spirit of knowledge of the Lord simply means Christ knows how to apply truth. Christ knows, he knows the ways of the Lord. He has, he has an understanding or a, an awareness of, of righteous living. Knowledge, broadly seen, is, is truth. He, he knows what's true. He, he knows the exact truth of everything. Now, sometimes we think if we don't know truth and we're ignorant, we have that common phrase, right? Ignorance is bliss. We say, okay, well, if, if I don't know truth, if I don't have the knowledge of the Lord then I live in ignorance. I live in a, a lack of awareness of what is true. But the Bible doesn't speak of ignorance being bliss. The Bible speaks of it in, in opposite terms. Psalm 14.4 puts it this way, talking about the wicked, the evildoer. It says, they have no knowledge. All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. This this phrase, it just says evildoers at the very core, they, they, don't, they don't understand what's true, or if they do, they don't apply it. They don't, understand, they don't have a knowledge of the fact that, that God is the sovereign God. They don't have an awareness that he designed life to work a certain way, and that whenever they rebel against it, or whenever they push against it, or whenever they buck against the way God designed life to work, they're walking in this ignorance, and it's not bliss. It, it, it identifies them as an evildoer. But Christ, he does. He has the spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. He knows how to apply truth. Now, it sounds a little bit uh, heady right now. This next word qualifies it a little bit more. The fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord, it simply is this idea that Christ is completely righteous. Knowledge of the Lord and fear of the Lord go hand in hand. Here's what it means. That Jesus, he has a perfect understanding of truth, of what God expects and how to live. And not only that, he lives it perfectly. He lived a perfect life. See, fear of the Lord, then, it, it, it's demonstrated in a moral concern that results in holiness. Let me say that again. Fear of the Lord, it says, I know the Lord. It's not that I'm fearing him like he's going to come and, and smack me, but I'm fearing him out of reverence and respect, knowing that he designed this world to work a certain way, and I want to live according to that way. And so now it results in me living my life with a concern for what's moral, for what's good, for what's right. And so I live it. How often do we as Christians today, how often do we say, you know, I've been given the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can, I can fudge a little bit on this edge. I, I, can, I can cut this corner. I can ignore God's holiness here. I can pursue this sin I can have some of this lifestyle. You know in that moment what we're doing is we're living the opposite of a life that has a fear of the Lord. But not Jesus. Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience 
Jesus demonstrated perfect moral conduct. Jesus demonstrated the ultimate wisdom of righteous living in that he never once cut this corner or ignored this truth or engaged in this sin. And this is what makes the gospel so incredible that you and I, while we might still lack fear of the Lord in places in our life, Jesus, he's given us that perfect righteousness through the gospel. He, he has made us one with him. We are now in Christ. And you know what that's meant to produce in us? A fear of the Lord. A desperate desire for holy and righteous living. A disgust with our own sin. A, a hatred of our own sin. Romans 8, 13 talks about it as a desire to, to put our own sin to death because we hate it so much. This is the wisdom of of righteousness that we don't just find in Christ, but we find is in the believer as they grow in Christ. You understand? Very, very simple. All of those regrets that you have in your life, as you look at them, what would have happened if you would have applied the wisdom of Christ? Whew. I could think of some some bonehead decisions I made that would have been completely different. All of those times you have sinned, and if you're in Christ, your sin has been covered, but, but just take a moment. What would have happened in that sin if you would have, instead of engaged in that sin, if you would have applied the wisdom of Christ? He designed the world. He knows what's best. He sees to the heart of the issue. He's rescued you with his gospel work and he's called you to live in righteousness. Now, I don't want to dwell on the past, but I want this truth to sink in deeply for every single one of us. Christ is the wisdom you and I need. He's the ultimate wisdom. It sounds so trite. Christ is wisdom. But look at these words. This is who he is. He is the ultimate wisdom to rule and to reign and to help us live a righteous life. So let me, let me bring this to our lives right now. We've exalted in Christ. We've seen that Christ is, has the spirit of the Lord. We've looked at this sevenfold spirit, the spirit of the Lord that says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Let, let, me, let me bring this to your life right now and let me ask you the first question. Have you accepted the wisdom of salvation in Christ? Have you accepted the wisdom of salvation in Christ? Listen very carefully. I'm not talking about have you obeyed so that you can be saved. That is not the wisdom of salvation. The wisdom of salvation, very simply, is there is nothing you can do to save yourself, but Jesus, in his wisdom, he died and rose again to rescue for himself a people, you and I, out of our sin and into his grace and his mercy and his love. Have you accepted that? 
I'm not saying, have you come to church every week? I'm not saying, do you have a Bible that you carry to church? I'm not saying, do you do good things? I'm saying, have you trusted? Have you, have you fallen down before Jesus in, in the wounds, in his hands, and his feet, and his side, and you say, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Save me. Have you done that? Or is it foolishness to you? Or is it weakness? Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God for our salvation. If you have not done that, will you do that tonight? We stop straddling the fence. We stop playing the game. Will you come to Christ and be saved? He's calling you. He loves you. He's got nothing but mercy and grace for you. That's the the first application. But the second really is for those who have already said yes to Jesus. For those of us who have, who have run to Jesus in his grace and his mercy, who have trusted in his death and resurrection, my next question is, are you walking in the wisdom of the righteousness of Christ? Are you walking in the wisdom of the righteousness of Christ? Here, here's what I mean. Are you seeking him as your wisdom in every single aspect of your life? Every aspect. So, so in your finances, with the way you, you spend your money, the way you save your money, the way you give your money, are you going and you saying, Christ, what, what is your wisdom for how I, how I deal with my, my finances? How about with, with things like, like drugs and alcohol? We live in a world that is incredibly permissive about those things. We, li- we live in a state where, where marijuana is legal. And so people, I've, I've had Christians say, well, it's legal, so it must be good. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to Christ for the wisdom of righteousness? Does he determine how you think about these things? How about Gambling. Have you gone to Christ and said, how do you want me to think about how I use my money here? How do you want me to think about the, this, this risk or this activity? We become so comfortable just saying, well, you know, it's not really a big deal, so we just set it aside. It's not really a big deal. Are you going to Christ in the way you think about every aspect of your life? How about video games? In the time you spend on them, the money you spend on him, the, the, the things that you, you, you fill your mind with from them, have you stopped and said, what is the wisdom of Christ? Not just in video games, but in all of my leisure activities, in my hobbies, in, in the way I spend my free time, in my leisure. Have you gone to Christ for wisdom with your friendships? I'm a big believer that there are two kinds of friends that each of us have, and there's a blurring between them. But there are friends that we influence, and there are friends that influence us. 
And, and, and the ones that influence us, are you going to Christ and saying, are they Christ-honoring? Are they living according to righteousness? Or are they living outside of Christ and I'm allowing them to influence in me deeply? This is not me saying you shouldn't have Christian friends. I think one of the greatest tragedies is when Christians don't have Christian friends. We should have tons of them. The question is, how, how are you engaging in that friendship? Is it with the wisdom of Christ? What about social media? How are you approaching social media? Are, are you approaching social media like, like it's a Christ-free zone and so you can swear or you can get mad about politics and you can, you can go on a major rant that totally ruins your reputation for a, as a Christian because of some political issue? Or, or as you type on your keyboard or on your phone, is this wisdom in Christ being reflected? How about in what you, what you look at in social media? Uh, social media is it's full of, of explicit material. Do you linger over that when you come across it? Is it part of what you enjoy about social media? You, you might not be going to the, the, the X-rated site, but is it, is it in your heart as you scroll day after day? Or are you walking in the wisdom of the righteousness of Christ? How about in dating? Or in the way you approach, approach sexuality? Again, we, we have a world that says sex is whatever you want it to be. Do whatever makes you happy. Whether it's the activities you, you engage in or the, the identity that you want. We live in a world that just embraces that. Let me just, I'm not trying to point fingers or, or get like on a soapbox. I'm just, are you going to Christ for the wisdom in the way you think about these things? Christ is the wisdom you need. Not your feelings, not your hurts, not your friends, not the culture, not pop psychology. I'm pleading with you, church. See Christ as the wisdom that you need. Heavenly Father, we come to you so humble because every one of us fails. There's not one of us that, that can be pretentious or, or act like we've got it figured out as we come to you in prayer. Every one of us comes on bended knee with our head bowed, recognizing the struggle and the sin, recognizing the Ignorance in some cases and the rebelliousness in other cases. Father, I thank you that we come to you right now knowing that you, you open up your arms and you pour out your grace. God, we rejoice that there is no condemnation, not even one ounce for any of us who are in Christ Jesus and so we come to you knowing that your forgiveness is abundant, your mercy, just like we sang moments ago, your mercy is more. And so we thank you, Father. I pray that you would overwhelm us with a sense of your love and your mercy and your grace. But Father, we also come to you with a sense of attention. The tension that exists in our heart and our minds 
as so often we fail to look at Christ as the wisdom we need. God, we confess we've been deceived, that we've been tempted, that we've been lazy, that we've been ignorant. And so we've wandered away from the true Christ, from the true wisdom, and we believe the lies that others have told us or the lies we've made up in our minds. And so we confess and we repent. And Father, we ask by your strength, by your grace, by your mercy, you would help us to run, to flee from our sin and to run not just to our Savior, but run to our wisdom. Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we, we ask all of this. Amen.